There's the age-old saying that things are not always what they seem. Decades may have passed since this case was opened and just as quickly closed, with an arrest within hours, a trial before supper, and an execution with Old Sparky within 83 days. The courts are not known for their speed, but in 1944, the trial in Alcoolu, South Carolina, began and ended in near record time. It certainly wasn't the only sad and painful record broken with this case, one that 70 years later would finally be given a second look. Uh, well, before we get started, we have a quite a few new tacos on our Patreon uh, page Woo-hoo. that I want to shout out and welcome. We've got Megan, we've got Regina, we've got Jeremy, we've got Tori, and Corey. Wow. And let me just say, most of these are uh, the uh, $10, or we had one, Regina, who wanted a custom pledge and go above that. Whoa, whoa. Uh, so we hey, big spender. Yeah. Uh, so I think we're going to have to start doubling up soon with our surprise shots um, and do maybe more than one dedicated surprise shot. How per many episode. are we uh, in the hole? We are it's like six in the hole right now. <laughs> so we're, we're a little backed up. So I think perhaps starting oh. next week, if we do, you know, if it's a Saturday night, we will feel comfortable doing two. Um, two, three. No, no. As long as we're not mixing liquor, I think we'll be okay. Because that that last one where we did that brutal, I, that was the worst hangover I've had in a long time. Yeah, that was not fun. But y- y'all gotta request what you want us to take. So far, um, I do have a request. Rachel gave us a, a good surprise shot request so otherwise if we don't get them we're just going to pick the shots ourselves so tonight's shot will be dedicated to rachel surprise shots surprise shots we don't know what they are because they're a surprise thanks rachel i can tell by the brightness of this i swear to god this better not be absinthe no, absinthe is a different color. Yeah, it's more of like a chartreuse. Oh. Mm-hmm. Cheers. Cheers. That's good. Midori. All right, so for you tacos, our supremos and our small tacos. And, and our nachos. Our nacho talk, nacho tacos. We are doing a couple of Patreon episodes this week for you. One's really short, but it tugs at my heartstrings. I've been following this case for several months now, and I want you guys to help me find a missing person. Ooh. All right, a missing something that is missing. Jen, can you read this headline for us? This is a story we're going to be covering for Patreon. Obese monkey, Uncle Fatty, who became a star <laughs> after being... <laughs> Who became a star after being sent to fat camp is missing and fed it, feared dead after falling off the wagon. <laughs> John, where'd you get this picture of me? Let me see him. Uh, I'll put that on the screen for you. Hold on. No. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that is, that's real. That's not photoshopped. 
No, that's real. There's another big monkey called Chunky Monkey. He's even bigger. <laughs> you know, it, I feel he's like he's still you in could, fat camp. <laughs> I feel like you could easily switch out Monkey and Uncle Fatty. In my name, in that headline, it would still be accurate. Why would you say that? Listen, to this like this I is also from the Sun. <laughs> Look at this bad boy! Oh my god, read that one. <laughs> Look how big that guy is. Chunky monkey, obese monkey, Godzilla found gorging on junk food at Thai market is being sent to fat camp after ballooning to twice its size. Look at it! Look at it! Oh my god, he's huge. He's like twice as big as the other one. Oh my god. <laughs> I feel you, buddy. Oh. But but I like, what do they do at Monkey Fat Camp? I didn't even know that was a thing. I don't know, but we need to figure out what happened to Uncle Fatty. And with you Patreon guys, he's so cute. Look forward to that this week because I'm going to be diving pretty deep into Uncle Fatty's whereabouts. I'm really excited. Yes. I hope we find Uncle Fatty. <laughs> also. Alive. Um, yeah, that is a Patreon episode. Also, is it possible that he lost so much weight that nobody recognizes him? No. So the little. Oh, they think he fell off the wagon. The little research I've done. I wonder if he actually fell off. I wonder if he actually <laughs> fell off a wagon. Oh, my God. No. So he was still in food. From, he's not even like the elder monkey and he's still in food from his peers. So I think they killed him. Oh, Aww. like people or other monkeys. Other monkeys. Other, other monkeys. Oh, well, that's sad. And also, I'm going to be covering the case of Alexis Sharkey. Have you heard of her? She is an Instagram influencer who, uh, there's some new developments in the case. She went missing and her body was now found. Mm. And it's a, uh, so that's a pretty popular case, and I want to do mm. that one for you guys on Patreon, similar to the Bianca Devins one that we did for you guys a long time ago. So be sure to look forward to that. And for our tacos, thank you so much for supporting us. Fabulous. You know what else is fabulous? These drinks. It is quite good, right? Yeah, like I could probably drink another one. We can make that happen. Yes. Um. So the hint tonight was Maypop. Which I had to look up what that Maypop yeah, what, was. What is a Maypop? Well, tell me. It's apparently you... a fruit. Yes. Yeah, oh, fruit. okay. Very similar to the passion fruit. Yeah, it's in the same family. Um, but it's like it grows in South America, I want to say. So well, it grows here. Well, no, does it? Yeah, in South Carolina. So oh. yeah, it's a southern wild fruit, and it's called the Maypop because it blossoms in May, oh. and it grows on a vine. So it's like a sweet fruit, and it grows on a vine. So they kind of dangle down towards the ground and if you step on them they pop oh so they may pop that's what they're called okay i never heard of them before me neither i would want to see if I, we can find them in a grocery store maybe um you know what passion fruit makes me think of that drake song though it's so good passion reminds away passion with the things you say well this is the may pop mimosa um, which called for Meyer lemon juice, which I you can't just like buy Meyer lemon juice, I believe. You so, have to juice a Meyer lemon. Yes. So what I did instead was took some orange juice and lemon juice and married those together because Meyer lemons kind of has an orangey flavor. Oh. Um, and then added some passion fruit juice and some champagne. It's delicious. It is very refreshing. 
All right, guys, let's get started with tonight's story. This is Talk Murder to Me podcast. If you're new here, I put all my sources, photos, photos, <laughs> photos from the rodeos. Photos. <laughs> <laughs> uh, put all my photos, videos, and sources on talkmurder.com. There's a lot of good stuff on this blog post, so be sure to go there. Leave me a comment. I read all those comments and share the posts if you don't mind. Alternatively, if you wait till Wednesday, we put out the YouTube videos. We are streaming this episode live. Well, not as live for us, but we'll put the episode out on Wednesdays from now on for the YouTube. The so YouTube. You can see my pretty face there. And Jen and Nicole's also there. Acne covered Spock mess. So tonight, the hint I gave was Maypop. We're actually going about an hour and a half east of here. Wait, west from here. East would be the <laughs> ocean. <laughs> the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> Never eat soggy waffles. We're going west. Oh, oh yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard about that. <laughs> Never eat soggy waffles. News. I just always... News? That's boring. Well, we. <laughs> West, East. We. Okay. Our never eat soggy waffles. I mean, I like. I don't have an issue with North and South as much as sometimes yeah. I do with East and West. I have a problem with North and South only because I'm so used to saying, like, going going down or going up. And now oh, I'm, I'm like, terrible at that, too. That. But, like, as far as location-wise, I'm okay with... It. Yeah, it's just as far as like they're coming down. It's like no, they're. Going I do that too. Up. I I do that too. I feel you. All right, so tonight we're going to A L C O L U, Alcolu, in South Carolina. In South Carolina, and for you guys on YouTube, here is the Google Earth video. So we're going almost where we we are. We're in Charleston, so right in the center. It's it's really close from to where I grew up, Alcolu. So it's like a little north east of Columbia. No, yeah, exactly. Well, east, it's right east of Columbia. I used to grow up, or I used to grow up. I actually grew up around these parts. So you see, it's nothing but uh, bare land. Mm, yeah. A lot of farm, a area. lot of farm areas. This is kind of where I grew up. And here's the Baptist Church. So keep this one in mind. This is the Green Hill Baptist Church. It still mm-hmm. is standing today. If you go about 300 yards away from that, which I'm going to show you right now, is where the story actually starts. Right there in that uh, bushy area, you see the briars and and all that. Now, it looked completely different from today, from this Google Earth video, as it did in March on as it did on March 23rd, 1944. Oh, wow. That was t- March 23rd, which is just on Tuesday. Yeah. It's my sister's birthday. This is Clarendon County. And I actually couldn't find a map, even an old-timey map, of where this is. So, mm-hmm. But luckily, we have Google Earth. So who you're looking at now, if you want to describe her, this is Betty June Binnaker. How old do you think she is? Six. Um, I'm going to say, like, Nine. Close. She's 11 years old. Oh. And right here is her best friend and neighbor. Her name is Mary Emma Timms, spelled just like the uh, river in uh, mm, in England. In oh. England, T-H-A-M-E-S. Okay. So a lot of people would think it was Thames, but it's actually spelled Timms or pronounced Timms. How old is she? And she's the one there on the right. 
I'm guessing around the same age, 10 or 11? Yes. Six. She's seven years old. So can you describe oh. uh, these girls for us? These are the victims tonight. Um, They are Caucasian young girls with pale skin, darker hair, like maybe... I think I think they're both brunettes. Kind of hard to tell with the like shoulder length photos. They they look they're country girls, right? That's how they look. Yeah, I mean, looks they got like the one's overalls. in front of a house, the other one's in yeah. the field. Looks like so just normal normal girls. They were best friends. One's eleven. One is seven years old. They were actually neighbors, and they had a hobby when school was out. Their mother would let them go pick maypops. Maypops. There you go. Now, Maypops, if you don't know, if you're not from the South, are these things right here. Oh. Yeah. So these, these are called Maypops. They blossom in May. And when you step on them, they can pop. They make a popping sound. Almost looks like a pomegranate. Like how they It does. Yeah, little kernels almost inside. So March 23rd, 1944. This is a Friday. Okay. School lets out at 3 p.m. The girls get home and... They decide to go pick Maypops, but they promise their mother that they'll be back in 30 minutes because supper, you know, in the South is around 435. So they got to be back by that time, 30 minutes, okay. no more, no less. So the two of the girls, the 11 and the seven year old, they start walking up the dirt road and in, and the and the Google Earth video I showed you, you saw a paved road. There's nothing like that back then. It was all dirt. There's okay. no paved roads anywhere. It's dirt. So they the start walking up the, the road. The mother gives them a pair of scissors because you actually cut the Maypop because it's on a vine. And they were supposed to be back in 30 minutes. Now, what you're looking at now is right hmm. across from the church that I just showed you on Google Earth. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is the area that the bodies were found. Looks a little swampy. Yeah. Exactly. And it was back in the day. Now, it didn't look anything like this today. There was, you couldn't even see past the bushes. It was all trees and and grown over. Jungle. Exactly. Now it's it's a soybean field behind there. But the the two girls, they're the victims tonight. They're found both murdered because they didn't come home in 30 minutes. Right there in that depressed area that you see. Yep. But that is the general area of where they were. 300 yards behind the Green Hill Baptist Ministry Church in a briar patch lay the two girls. Now, they were actually found around 7 a.m. the next morning, which was a Saturday. Okay. So here's kind of how it goes down. They leave at 3.30. All right, Mom, we'll be back in 30 minutes. She gives them some scissors. They go out. Both the girls, they're walking, even though one of them has a bike, has a bicycle, which is extremely important in this case. Okay. And from what I saw, evidence is lacking in this case, but there was only one bicycle. So one of them was pushing the bicycle. The other one was just walking. And okay. you saw, you see that in old movies, yeah. they do that stuff. So that is what was going on. 30 minutes goes by. Neither of the girls show back up at the house. So the mother immediately gets worried and tells her husband. The husband tells the neighbor. And eventually, within an hour, there's 150 people searching. 150 for, people? Yeah, everyone in town. This is a small town. Okay. Even wow. even today, uh, Alkulu only has 458 residents. So hmm. back then, 
the entire town. That's fast, though, to get 150 people together. Yeah, but. and you yeah. would have to think that perhaps the murderer is there searching is for them. Of them. Well, they don't know it's a murderer yet. These girls could have fell down a hill. They could have been struck by like a coyote or something like that. You know, whatever. Right, but in retrospect. Yeah, in retrospect. So they're just searching for the girls. They're they're probably lost, you know. Could be, yeah. Around 7 a.m. that Saturday morning, one of the searchers, his name is Scott Loder, L-O-W-D-E-R. He noticed some footprints in the soil, and it rained the night before, so the footprints are kind of deep and impressioned into the soil. And he also sees the scissors that the mother gave uh, Betty June Binnaker to cut the uh, uh-huh. thing, and they're just laying on the ground. And were the footprints child size footprints or adult size footprints? That's a really good question, and nobody knows because that oh. is lost to history. Huh. But keep that in mind. That's a okay. really good question. Okay. The footprints in the damp soil, he... Now, this isn't a briar patch. He sees the scissors, and he moves the briars out the way, and obviously you guys know what he finds. Mm-hmm. Lying face up, side by side, placed there intentionally were the two girls. You have Betty June Benneker, 11 years old, and Mary Timms, 7 years old. They're placed beside each other. They're face up in a shallow water. It rained the night before, so think uh, two, three inches max of water. They're not completely submerged, but they are in the water. Mm-hmm. And Benneker's bicycle, the one that, uh, you remember, they had one bicycle when they walked up the dirt road. That bicycle, the front wheel was detached and placed on top of her body. Oh, no. They think the uh, bicycle was placed on top of her body almost like to conceal Maybe uh, they won't Hmm. see this. There's a bike here. They're not going to see a body type of thing. No one knows why the bicycle was placed there. Okay. Well, it sounds like we we can deduce, though, that the footprint then was the person who placed them there. Because that wasn't the scene of the crime. Yeah. There was no struggle there. The bike was placed on top of them. So (sighs) the footprint had to have been. They may have been putting the bike there to, like, hide the body but don't you think that if you're walking in a bar field and you find a bike you're like oh look a bike and then you're like oh no bodies or maybe maybe that was maybe that was their intent i don't know and i Hmm. we may never know but immediately they every the town people i mean this is i mean this has never ever happened in this town ever you have two other and there's not many little girls running around, mm-hmm. 150 people, you know what I'm saying? So everyone knew the Benneker girl. Everyone knew the Tim's girl. They knew they went picking May Pops. Everyone's seen them. Like, who would do this in such a small population? And it is someone in town, obviously, because this is in 1944. You don't just drive around because you want to go visit places. Right. Like, that is a whole thing to drive, mm-hmm. especially down these old dirt roads. So they knew it as someone in town. Mm -hmm. They also know it's a homicide because unlike a suicide or anything else, there's obvious trauma and pretty bad trauma to the head where they have both been beaten. In fact, through the medical examiner, he says, quote, they had been beaten about the head, end quote. 
some old timey words mm. there. Now, let me talk about the condition of their bodies. Benneker, the 11 year old, her head was crushed in several different places mm. in the back. So the back of her skull was completely fractured. So not like, you know how you fracture it. Maybe it cracks a couple things. No, it I was, don't know, but... It was literally in a hundred pieces. So obviously someone attacks her in the back of the head unless they pushed her head on a log and just slammed it on there. At 11 years old, the skull's not fully formed, I know. But Tim's, the seven-year-old, her face was, quote, beaten beyond recognition. Oh, my God. End quote. However, and I'll get into this later, but, and I know they're in water, but there's an absence of blood, which usually means what? They were beaten after they were killed? Is that where you're going with that? That's a really good point, mm-hmm. and they didn't think of that back then. And I'm glad you brought that up because I didn't even think of that. But they were beaten somewhere else. Usually, yeah. Usually people would think they were beaten somewhere else. Now, there is supposed to be an excess amount of blood because in the head area, the scalp, there's a lot of blood vessels up there. So when you get beaten on the head, that's when you see blood splatter everywhere. So the fact that there there was absence of blood... And that's a really good point you brought up because I didn't even think of that. They they could have been strangled and then killed. And then if they were, if that are strangled and then beat, if that were the case, there would not be an excess of blood because the heart heart's not going. It's not pushing the blood out. Right. That's a really good point. I didn't think of that. Good job, yeah. Nicole. However, three they, years of doing this, I learned a few <laughs> things. <laughs> Actually, that point is really good to uh, for this story because no nobody has thought of that, I don't think. The story that we're telling tonight, there is a shockingly not a lot of evidence, or not 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 evidence. What I, paperwork, and which is which is normal because For they the didn't times. have hard drives or whatever. Like I have like seven terabyte hard drive that I'm saving saving these videos to. Like that, they didn't have that. They had a file cabinet that would take probably, I don't know, like 100 gigabytes. Well, that was stupid because it's not... <laughs> pieces of paper. <laughs> 100 um, pieces of paper. I, so they got, a, they got to basically burn those to make way for new cases. I also wonder if um, maybe there was a lack of resources. You said this was in 1944, so this is still during World War II. Yeah, there you, you know? go. So I'm wondering if maybe, like, maybe the best folks who were on the police force were actually serving in the military at the time. That's another really good point, Mm -hmm. Nicole. Thank you. You're on it tonight. (laughs) (sighs) Yes. Yeah. So this was, this was right before Hitler surrendered, right? 1944. This was March 23rd. When did he surrender? April? Um, It was in 45. Oh, 1945. April or May of 1945. Yeah. So this was right before that. So this case probably didn't make, I mean, it made the news, obviously, but not the front page. Well, that's what else is. uh, It just strikes me about the the time, like probably all of the young men. They were serving at that time. Yeah. Now, one of the search party people, men that pulled out the two girls. Now, keep in mind, this is 7 a.m. Saturday the next day. They went May pop picking. 
on the 23rd of March, Friday, mm-hmm. right after school, school Starting bell the rings. Weekend, yeah. yeah the, the mom gives them the scissors. You better be back before we're shepherd. We'll be back 30 minutes, mom. They walk and then they're never seen again. So the search party conducts itself. They, they form up and it takes them almost 12 hours to find the girls. Okay. So also interesting, the fact that this is during World War II, the population of this town is smaller. So the pool, like obviously people who are overseas serving anyway, they're not suspects, but like, do you know what I'm trying to say? Like the people who could have done the crime were probably not men 18 to 40. You know what I mean? For the most part, it must have been someone... Unless those, unless those people and those that were around were ineligible to serve, right? Something like that. Um. So, how far away was where they were found? Still in the town. It was near the church, right by the church. Three hundred yards behind the church is where they're found in that briar patch. Right, and and where is that in conjunction to where they lived? That's a good question. Not as good as the questions Nicole's been asking, but it's, hey, <laughs> I'll take it. We're I'll getting, take a compliment when I can get it. We're okay. on a roll tonight. So they are a couple blocks away, we'll say. So they could yell. Their mom could yell really loud and they could hear. But Bring she the can't bell. she can't see them because they are a couple blocks away. Now there there's shrubbery and stuff, trees and everything else that wasn't there or that was there that's not there currently. But it took twelve hours to find yeah, yeah, exactly. But I mean, there there's no helicopters, no search dogs or anything. I mean, th- you know, they no, it's but... literally they split up in groups and then they walk. And then but... they were in a briar patch, which I mean, they they didn't think they were murdered. That's the last thing they're thinking of. They thought they were lost. So the right. last place to look is in a briar patch. Well, you I think you would you know? still if you're two blocks away and you have 150 people looking and you start at the home you don't think it would take 12 hours to get to that briar patch. So maybe whoever was looking was involved, like I mentioned before, and they had time to move the body to a briar patch. Because 12 hours in a two-block radius is not... I mean, I understand what you're saying, but also that's a long time to go two blocks. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. But I also remember... But this is... This isn't like the open land. This is all trees, all woods, all forest. Okay. I remember looking for someone. I was in North Carolina and I was in a specialized training environment. And there was this kid that ultimately got bit by a, some kind of snake. And we were looking for him. And it was probably about the same. It was a couple mile radius, which isn't that much because we had, you know, all of us soldiers and, you know, we were making pretty good speed, but it still took us two days to find them. I mean, because there's so true. much there's wow. so much briars and, and brush yeah. everywhere and, and they're not decomposed yet. You're not smelling them. You don't have a search dog. You're basically you're basically getting lucky. And he wouldn't they wouldn't even have seen them if it wasn't for that uh, weird footprint because there yeah. was no drag marks either. So if they were killed somewhere else, they were carried. They were carried. There you go. That's another yeah. <laughs> now looking back, detective. <laughs> now looking back, when we were looking for my golf club that split split in half, we weren't. We were only looking behind the fence 
and we never found it. Shoot. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. So, and, and like it couldn't have gotten that far. No, I saw like the area that it went to and we, I looked, we looked back there three or four times. I looked back there three or four times. I went too. You did not. Yes, you I did. Do it of in the back. You did. I was in the shit. That day, <laughs> that shit. day, but I went a few day. I went a few times a couple days later when it was sunny and not so wet. <laughs> when it was sunny, and us, so I went out there in the pouring rain. <laughs> I wasn't playing golf in the pouring rain. Uh, all right. I have One- yet to use that training tool since because I'm not messing up the driver I have now. Let's just say one of the you probably it probably flung over and killed some kid. No, I think <laughs> maybe that's why we found the bikes. Yeah, yeah knocked the kid off the bike. <laughs> All right, one of the teenagers that was helping search for the two girls, his name now after he grew up is Mr. Francis Baston. Now, this guy later becomes a Baptist minister. And he is a part of the search party. They actually told him to, to go home when he finds the body because he's a teenager. They don't want him seeing this because, I mean, these bodies were bad, badly mangled. I mean, for such a small town and two small girls, you know what I'm saying? Well, yeah, it's it doesn't really, really matter how small the town is. Like the fact that a child was beaten to death violently is terrible. Hmm. So this is what he says. This is an exact quote from Mr. Baston. One of the fellows in our group discovered the bodies and said he thought he heard one of them breathing. So I went down in there and pulled them out of the ditch. Of course, they were already stiff. I lifted them out and laid them on the embankment along with the bicycle. I was 15 at the time and the older men told me to go home. So I did. All right. So now let's go over one of the few pieces that's left of this case the autopsy report, okay. which I'm so glad that the, the Historical Society saved all this stuff, that they could at least. But this is the autopsy of both of the girls. You don't have to read it because it's hard to read, but I'm going to to uh, go over each girl separately. Okay. Now, I'll put all of these sources on talkmer.com, definitely, because I, I want to save all these for my own records as well. Because this is, I mean, there's a case right down the road, you know. Anyway. The uh, medical examiner is Dr. A.C. Bozard, M.D. Also accompanying him was a Dr. Baker. Dr. Baker is a family physician, okay, which will kind of become important later down the road. So keep in mind, he's not a registered forensic pathologist or anything. He's a family, like you go to freaking doctor's care or whatever, that's the guy working. Anyway, this is the autopsy report, and I'm going to read the summary. The seven-year-old, Mary Emma Timms, long laceration, about two inches, right above the right eyebrow, another vestial, I guess that's the word for cut, on the forehead above the left eyebrow, both jagged and deep, deep inside the Deep as in whoever did this used a lot of force. And the scissors that the girls took for the Maypop. That's a really good point. But the scissors, they didn't have any blood on them or anything. That's not the murder weapon. Oh. But that is a good point, you know, because they did have a, a method to fight back with the scissors. But then again, they're seven, seven years old. Like, what are they going to kill someone? You know what I'm saying? Anyway, 
Both of those were jagged and deep. Another hole going straight through the cranial cavity on the forehead. So, and these are the exact words, and these are the exact words of the autopsy report. So, they're using words like hole going through the cranial cavity. What I'm trying to say is there's a lot of force behind whoever's doing this. The frontal bone right here on, on your forehead is, quote, definitely broken, end quote. And all of this is quoted. I'm just emphasizing on what I think is important. These injuries look as they've been caused by a hammer. And you'll see from the, the next victim here that the, the way they could tell is it has almost like a circular indentation, you know, with the, the tip of the hammer. Punched out fracture of the skull. I've never seen that word before. Punched out. So the the skull was actually like cracked and kind of leaning out of the skin. No signs of cyanosis, which means the child was dead before she was submerged in the water. No bruises or discoloration about the genitalia, and the hymen was intact. Miss Betty June Benneker, 11 years old. Evidence of at least seven blows to the head of the child with a blunt instrument. A small round head puncture about the size of a hammer. Now, he's not saying that the murder weapon is a hammer. Keep that in mind. Right. Nobody's saying the murder weapon is a hammer. He is just giving a best guess of what it is. Something that's comparable to a hammer. Yeah. Some of her skull was cracked, which means she was hit extremely hard as well. And she had two blows that fully punched holes inside of her skull. So whoever's doing this or whoever did this, number one, it's not suicide. It's not an accident. Like this is, this is some, something, some crazy stuff going on. Now, I do want to point out that Alkalu, which I can barely even say, was the, the main employer there was a, a lumber mill by D.W. Alderman. That was the lumber mill. So if you think of Al, uh, Alkulu, because why, why, there's not even a, a real name. So basically, it's the, the first name of the lumber guy is Alderman, and then Co, so Alco, right? And then it was something like Lou, the last one's for Lula. It was like a friend or something. So Alkulu. Alcula, I can't even oh. say it. I, they, they need to change the name. It's so it's, that's not a South it's Carolina just hard name. To say. <laughs> it's not even like a Native American name. It's just so huh. it's it's a made that's up. It's interesting that I came from a business name. Yeah, yeah. So Alco, Alcula, and then Lula. It's hard to say, and for anyone in South Carolina, so I don't feel that bad. Yeah. Oh, so we're not finished with uh, we're not finished with hers. I, I actually wanted you to read this part of the the medical examiner because. It is really important about how hard she was hit. The back of the skull is nothing but a mass of crushed bones. That is the exact wordage that the medical examiner used. So I do have a question, and I know that this it could probably be ruled out very quickly based on the medical examiner's report. But the where they were found was, was a little swampy, and they were found in water. I know that there was no, like bite marks but are there like gators out there like like hmm. like could they could have gator ever done this like chomped them i'm not trying to be insensitive like i no, know that's not an insensitive question it's just 
No, because I mean, they they were beaten about the head and that was it. I mean, is it the circular thing? If it was like all across their body, like if a gator is going to get you, it's not just going to bite you in the head. Number one, it's going to eat you. Oh, yeah. And and split you in half because it does the death roll. And number two, it's not just going to bite you on the head. I mean, it's a good question. And I don't know. It, now that after I asked it, I don't think it was a good question. It was well, kind I mean, of a maybe question. not gators. I don't think gators are out there, but coyotes or something. Something that could have forcefully penetrated but the I, skull. I think the, the hammer. it seems like yeah. a hammer. So I don't know if that could have been done by an animal. Yeah. No, it's not a bad question. But because it also brings up the point that there was no other, you know, marks on the body, if that makes sense. So were they strangled? This is the autopsy report. It doesn't say anything about that. But I mean, this is 1944. I don't even think they had the capillary technique that they have now. So Mm -hmm. and I'm not a a pathologist or anything, but they can tell if you're strangled because these little eye bubbles or whatever they're a certain way a certain redness or whatever in 1944 they probably didn't even know that stuff the only way they can tell if you're strangled is if you had like bruises around your neck like at your mark you know what i'm saying or something like that i but i don't know there's nothing in this autopsy report though that says they were strangled uh, it goes on to say there's plenty of damage to the head a slight this is important slight edema of the external genitalia and slight bruise was present on the right side of the genitalia, even though her hymen was also intact. So take a guess of maybe what that can mean. She had bruise, a bruise there. Well, he either she could have been abused at home or um, the she was abused, but it was not maybe, uh, it could have been fingers. Or it wasn't. No, that's a good point. Most likely from what everyone, from what the detectives surmised and stuff, is it's because she was the one riding the bike. And oh, I guess, you know, the bike, true. especially back then, man, like a, a bike in the 40s, like it's not like that bike I have now with a super padded seat and shit. This is probably just the Yeah, that bike seat's got good Uncomfortable shit ever you know so i mean most likely that there was no there was no scratch marks or bruises down there it was just that one little bruise that could have been caused from the bike good point okay now keep in mind later in this story a couple things the bike the front wheel was taken off completely weird okay and placed on top of her remember okay and from what i've seen there's only one bike from what i've seen there's only one bike well maybe only one of them could afford a bike you know like there is a. I mean, you, you know, always see the old movies. Yeah, and one yeah. kid's pushing the other ones. You know, and it's maybe because only one of them can afford it. Now, did the bike wheel? You know how like the spigots in the bike they all come together, and there was usually like a round part in the middle of the bike the wheel. The yoke, is that what it's called? No, I don't sorry. know what it's called, but maybe could that have been the weapon? No, no. Interesting. I'm not, no, I'm just trying to figure out. That's an interesting. Plot. All right, well, let's let's move on because we we got the killer. Okay. So I just you know let's move on. Okay. So Sorry. this is the killer right here. If you want to describe him for us, he's a child. How old do you think he is? Twelve, probably eleven, twelve. Yeah. He's fourteen years old. Oh, he looks so young. So what do you think his uh his destination was in life after this? 
I mean, life in prison. I, I mean, but for in 1944, for being 14, though, <laughs> I like that know. doesn't add up for any of the other cases 14, that we've done. Uh, for murdering <sighs> two girls in the South for an African American boy in the 40s. There you go. So the, <sighs> we're, we're, and I'm talking about this in a second, but we're still in the Jim Crow era here in the 40s. <sighs> I'm a, I'm gonna kind of gloss over that, and this isn't a, this is in no way a racial episode, but this is a South Carolina story that is widely known from for South Carolinians, and I've always wanted to do it. And there's actually some recent developments in the case. Really? Okay. Seventy years ago has seventy years has passed. I mean, in in modern time, like we just did a case where. The girl was 12 years old and she was out within 10 years, right? Huh? That was in Canada, though. Yeah. Well, Are you talking about Jasmine know. Richardson? Yeah. Yeah. That was in Canada. Yeah. Well, I know in 2000 Canada. Yeah. But I'm also just saying, like, it's. Did you guys yeah. know that Virginia just recently banned the death penalty and they're the I first state in the, in the South to do oh. so? I did not know that. I didn't know that. We'll be the last. All right, so this is George Steiny Jr. He is a 14-year-old African-American boy, and I'm going to get into the the racial societal makeup of the time because that is extremely important for this case. Now, Miss Frankie Deiches, D-Y-C-H-E-S, which is Betty June Benneker's niece. So niece. niece. So she was born after. She was born after. Oh, posthumously. Yeah. So. Okay, Betty Betty it. June Benneker's sister's daughter. daughter. Got it. Yeah, okay. this is who we're talking about. Got it. So she was born after this happened. But I needed that. Yeah. 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 Sorry. Anyway, this is what she says about uh, George Steiny Jr. Quote, he was a bully and he had a very short fuse. End quote. Mr. W.L. Hamilton, which was the teacher for George Steiny Jr. in seventh grade said the, the following, quote, I remember the day he killed those children. He got into a fight with a girl at school who was his neighbor. In those days, you didn't have to worry about children carrying guns and knives to school, but George carried a little knife and he scratched this child with the knife, end quote. Now, there's two sides to this to his personality because his own family would claim that he was a very shy and mild-mannered youth. He had no interest in girls whatsoever, and he was actually an artist, an accomplished artist for his time, you know. Hmm. He would carry a little pad and a pencil that his mom gave him, and every time an airplane flew by, he would quickly trace it, and it would look pretty good. Wow. He looks very disconnected in that photo. Does he look like a killer? No, I mean, he looks like a kid. Yeah. Yeah. That's inmate 260. 260. But he looks like he doesn't care. I don't like there's something not connecting. It looks, <sighs> you know what I mean? He actually confessed to police and at he least. He did. Yeah. No, okay. he confessed. Yeah. So, and I'm going to tell you kind of what happened, but he confesses to police. Uh, the, at least one officer was there. Like I said, records are kind of non-existing <laughs> for this case. Anyway, from what we do know, there was one officer there, a Clarendon County Sheriff, Deputy H.S. Newman. Now, his confession was this. It was actually one story, and then it was a final story. The story initially was he 
followed the girls. Well, not followed the girls. He saw one of the girls fall down into the ditch. He tried to get her out. She thought he was making a move on her, and she started to hit him. Then he picked up uh, a railroad spike. Oh. And, uh, and excuse me, a piece of iron, like an iron bar, the first thing he could find, and he hit her in the head with it. He didn't mean to kill her. She goes unconscious. The other one trying to scream, run away. He didn't know what to do. He just hit her too. Okay, that was the first tale. The second confession was he wanted to have sex with Betty June Benneker. Remember, she was bruised on the right side of her genitalia. All right. However, the seven-year-old Mary Timms began to protest. So he grabs the first thing he could. He hits the seven-year-old right there with a piece of iron. She gets knocked unconscious. And then he, he kills both of them, like what we talked about. Now, he claims that he didn't mean to kill the girls, but he did beat them pretty badly. And the murder weapon, is, which is now lost to history, was either a piece of iron or a railroad spike. All right, any questions? Hmm. I mean, it, the, that would match the wounds. What made him change his story? Well, it's interesting. It's not like terribly different. I mean, like you. I mean, because you, you always try to go in there and make it like you're not. Your it's not your fault. You know. Oh, I was trying to help her out, and then the detective's like, "No, come on. We see through that." Okay, I was trying to have sex with her, but you know, then she tried to attack me, type of thing. So maybe like that. This is from the deputy sheriff. If you want to read this, the deputy sheriff said George Steiny Jr. gave this account of the killings. He came upon the children near the Alderman Lumber Mills where they had gone to pick flowers about 3 p.m. He made advances to the younger girl, a first grade pupil, and she fought him off. When the girl said that they intended to tell their parents, he picked up a railroad trestle spike about a foot long and struck the younger girl several times in the head. The older girl attempted to help her little friend and Steiny also said he felled her with the spike. Taken into custody several hours after the bodies were found, Steiny led officers to a spot nearby where he said he had concealed the spike. So, after he confesses to the deputy, he actually takes them to the exact location. Now, this is really important. You remember it rained the night before, and they were found in a mud puddle. Mm-hmm. Okay. He says, I threw the murder weapon down there. The deputy reaches down into the puddle, into a muddy puddle where you can't see anything. You can't see a spike down there. Reaches right down where George Steiny Jr. said it was, and he pulls out an iron rod, the murder weapon, they, which now never, lost the history. Okay. Yeah. No, there's no nobody knows what the murder weapon was because I mean this is a small town. They didn't really take things too seriously, I guess. But he pulls out the murder weapon the one that he used to kill the girls with. I am pretty sure, guys, and I'll put this photo on talkmer.com. This case is, there's like a movie made about this, and there's all kind of misinformation, but I tried my damnedest to figure out if this is his house. I believe this was the house he grew up in. If it's not, I apologize, but I couldn't find a definite, but that this house mm. keeps coming up under his name from from all these other websites. So I'm, I'm saying that this was the house... He, he was in, now obviously looked a lot better back then. Right. I mean, this is current day. So here's where we're at. 
He confesses, this is the Saturday morning, after they find the girls. Because two deputies come to his house, which is this, the house right here. They take him away. All right. So they're at this house right now. And another local who was a part of the search party, his name was Paul Fan, F-A-N-N. His family provided the ice around town because there's no oh. refrigerators mm-hmm. back then. So you, you would, he was talking about how if you're going to buy ice, kind of like when you buy it, Harris Teeter or something. But you would buy ice either in 100-pound, 50-pound, or 25-pound, and they would cut it right there. That's what you use oh. the ice picks for. Yeah, it's kind of cool because they would just get it in the truck, this big thing of ice, and they would cut it for you. Uh, how much you want? Did you know that um, <laughs> my my dad did ice sculptures? No. Mm-hmm. Was he good at it? Yeah. Too bad he couldn't do one for your wedding. He was, um, there's a... I think it's like he was on the front page of the Boston Globe with him, like with a chainsaw doing like ice sculptures. That's cool. Back when he was working in hotels. Not cool. How long I wonder if he last? ever made some, because we used to order ice, not me, but like the town in your bedroom for their first night used to order them. Do they last? They used to do it. They, well, it's obviously it's in the dead of winter. So yeah, they would do it like in, it, it, I think it was for, they did it for first night yeah. in Boston. But what is first night? Um, uh, it's New, New Year's, Year's Eve. New yeah, Year's. it's like a New Year's Eve and Party. they would, would walk do around a whole bunch of like, yeah. Yeah, ice sculptures. Now, according to Mr. Fan, now he was a child at the time, but this is what he recalls about um, the police showing up and pulling George Steiny Jr. away. Now, I want to say also they pulled his brother away which he was an older, I believe he was 17 at the time. He was just there for the night. His name was Johnny. He was going to the army the next day. But they pulled him away to the both of them. And this is what the uh, one of the search party members says, Mr. Fan. They came out and there was an officer holding each arm. Mr. Fan said, I don't recall seeing handcuffs, but they might have had his hands cuffed. But I know that there was a man on each side of him holding him by the arm. There was another man, I don't know who he was, who came out carrying a ball of clothing. I don't know who he was speaking to, but I heard him say that he was carrying the bloody clothes George had been wearing at the time the girls were killed. I never saw any blood, but they found the clothes buried in a shallow hole near the back corner of the house. Hmm. So were they actually bloodied? Well, remember there was no blood near the body. Yeah. We don't know. It's not like they saved the clothes. Let's recap. Two girls, bicycle... Dirt road, walking down the street, scissors to cut the Maypops. Didn't come back 30 minutes later. Search party. Next day, Saturday morning, 7 a.m. Bodies are found. We went over all that. Okay. And this kid just then admits. George Steiny Jr., the kid who is admitted to killing, was in the search party. They were broken up to multiple different little search parties, but he was in one of them. And he says that he actually saw you called that, Jen. Mm-hmm. He he saw the girls right before they died. He said that. Oh, I seen these girls walking. They actually, and his story was, they asked me where to get some Maypops, and I told them I didn't know, and then they walked off. He was the last one to see them. Okay. Then the cops put two and two together. Let's take them downtown. He confesses, takes the cops out there, shows them the exact place where the murder weapon is. He pulls it out. Boom. Yada, yada, yada. Let's get it going. Trial. And what's your sentence? George Steiny Jr. was tried by a jury of 12. This is him right here. Look how small he is. 
He's he's the one in front. <laughs> he's a kid, man. He is a kid. <laughs> a fucking kid. Ninety five pounds. Ninety five pounds. Wow. <laughs> uh, sentenced to die in the electric chair. This was old Sparky, electric chair. He was the youngest person to ever be electrocuted in the United States legally. And the newspapers say legally, like they've done it illegally, I guess. Legally, he was the only person, the youngest person to be electrocuted in all 50 states within the 20th century, at least. Maybe even the 19th century. Wow. When was he executed? Well, we're going to get to that. Well, actually, I'll get to that now. 83 days later... After the murder, wow, he was executed. That's whoa, quick. yeah. That, so that is never that quick. Well, I mean, there is a big war going on. Hitler. Yeah. I mean, we talked about that. I mean, come on, Hitler. What about him? What does that have to do with death penalty? People are on death row for freaking decades. Now they are. Now they are because once you get on death row now, uh, an automatic appeal is filed. So it's like a appeal of stay or whatever. And they review everything. I mean, what's that guy that was the other day that was on death row uh, that we did? The uh, toolbox killers. Mm. He was on oh. death row for like 43 years. He's been on death row longer than I've been alive. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and then he at dies some point, on it gets death to row. be kind of ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. It, it wasn't like that. He actually only stands trial for the murder of the 11-year-old June Betty Benneker, or Betty June Benneker, on June 16th, 1944, 83 days later. After the bodies were found, he was executed in CCI, which is the famous Pee Wee Gaskins mm-hmm. prison there in Columbia, South Carolina. Little George walks through the electric chair, wielding a Bible in his hand, five feet, one inch tall, 95 pounds. No final statement was made. First time they, they put a mask on him. So you, because there's people watching mm-hmm. uh, the the family, Benneker's family, Tim's family, they're watching and they don't, I mean, obviously, it's going to be a grotesque scene to see anyone get electrocuted. Do you so ever they, see the Green Mile? Oh, God, yeah. Mm-hmm. That movie make you, that's a crazy movie. It's that's a, Stephen a, King, you know. Is it? I think so. You sure? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Stephen King. Well, you, you're pretty sure. You're not positive. <laughs> it is Tom Hanks. Another Tom Hanks great. And I forget the... Uh, he died. He died too. The that the big guy. big dude. Yeah. yeah. Green Mile. Did he just die a couple years ago? I don't know. Green Mile is Stephen King. Yeah. That's a is a great movie. It's, it's a probably really a great movie. book too. But Mr. King, I ain't trying to read a thousand pages. <laughs> you need to make shorter Didn't, novels, I think it, dude. <laughs> I think it won you know Academy Awards. I haven't seen it. Shocker. It's good. Little George walks to the electric chair, Bible in hand. No final statement was made. Ninety five pounds, five feet one inch. Tall, the first switch flipped on. Remember, he's got the hood over his face. 2,400 volts, first time. Mm. That's a now, lot. Now, Nicole, you got shocked the other day by 120 volts. So tell us how that felt. It wasn't fun. So he, the first time is 2,400 volts is going through low? the head. No, that's is that, really no, high. I know, it's going to fry you. No, I know. But like, don't they usually start with like a small amount I don't and know then if turn they, it up? No. I don't know. I don't know how they do it now, but back then they start with the highest amount. So the first switch, boom, 2,400 volts. His head jerks upwards. He's obviously convulsing. Saliva goes down his chin. Tears run down his eyes. 
He was wearing a leather mask, which slipped off during the electrocution. Oh, my God. Which gave the the watchers a, a sight they will never forget. Okay. Because that's the reason they put the mask on there, so they don't have to see that. But they did I anyway. do think the electric chair is very <sighs> cruel. Oh, And you'll know what, like when you see the Green Mile. Oh, man. Ugh. So the next switch flipped on after they fixed his mask. 1,400 volts. Then the final was 500 volts, but I think he was dead before then. All right. This is the outcome of George Steiny Jr., 14 years old. Oh, poor kid. I mean, he killed two girls, but it's still sad that he was only 14 and had to go to the electric chair. George's sisters, they went on to, to say this about, because they actually saw, they didn't see the execution, but they saw him at the funeral home after this. And it was a semi-open casket. And this is what his sisters describe. He was blue. They put that thing on his head and it slipped off. He was burned until he was blue. And there ha- and to be there and look at that baby was terrible. He was burned until he was blue. Mrs. Ruffner echoed her sister's comments. They burned him to a crisp, she said. What do you guys think? Well, you know how I feel about the death penalty, and especially for children. That's I don't think it's okay. But I do understand it was the 40s. No, that doesn't make it okay. I'm just saying that it's it, it, it is sad knowing that all the other cases that we have covered where someone is a minor that would have never have happened. You know? Yeah. Or that's never happened in any other cases we've covered. All right, so that like coal is miners. that is the case of George Steiny Jr. We are right in the middle of the case because the case was reopened on January twenty first, two thousand and fourteen. What? If you want to read this, is from the New York Times. Family of South Carolina boy put to death seeks exoneration seventy years later. The case was reopened, and the majority of folk think he's innocent. <gasps> So, we're going to stop it right here for tonight, and then we're going to go over the evidence again, and there's two things I want to answer, because I'm not just going along with the popular vote on this one. There's two things we need to answer with this case. Number one, was he- Framed? Was he the killer? Did he false confess? Yeah, exactly. False confessions. They're like, what what is that in the 40s? They don't know what that is. That's a brand new thing. We still got Brendan Dassey in jail. Mm -hmm. But, and I I haven't done this case. He may have killed it. But anyway, so the first question we have to answer is, did he kill them or not? If he did not, the second question we need to answer, did he get a fair trial? Oh, well, we know the answer to that. <laughs> yeah. But so we're going to end it there for tonight. Be sure that you're subscribed to Talk Murder to Me. If you're a Patreon member, you will most likely get this episode early with the video. Also, the video should be out on Wednesday if it's a little later. I apologize. This is a huge case and I want to make sure it comes out right and is formatted correctly and stuff like that. But anyway, we'll see you on the next episode. My name is John. I'm here with Jen Nicole. Until night and until... What do I say? Until next time. And until next time, good night, you lovely, lovely people.